Hello, and welcome to the Balanced Wealth Podcast. My name's Gavin DeStasi, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about spousal support in a divorce, and why this issue is the one that most often holds up a divorce settlement. A couple going through a divorce has a plethora of issues to deal with and negotiate before their divorce settlement can be agreed upon and finalized, so much so that it can seem overwhelming at the start. But in my experience, as they start going through the process, Assuming both sides are generally motivated to get it done, the paralysis that can set in early on tends to subside as they work through the issues one at a time, and a sense that it might actually be resolved someday starts to gain hold. And that's because there's a basic flow to the process that, while not perfect, generally makes sense, right? You have the initial filing for divorce, the gathering and exchange of financial information, then negotiating the settlement, which includes splitting up the property or all the stuff, agreeing to a custody arrangement if there are minor children, and coming up with child support and spousal support arrangements. Then once the settlement is agreed upon, the judgment can be made and the divorce finalized. When we think about that process in a vacuum, where does the difficulty lie? Okay, sometimes gathering the financial information can be tricky, or at least time-consuming for folks that haven't been diligent about keeping good records, or maybe haven't been plugged into the financial picture during the marriage. And coming up with an accurate budget isn't always the easiest thing. That's true even for financial planning clients who aren't going through a divorce, so that piece can cause some headaches. But for the most part, the real heavy lifting comes in negotiating the settlement. And the four major issues that need to be negotiated in the settlement are, as I said earlier, the splitting of the assets, coming to an acceptable custody arrangement, and agreeing to child support amounts and spousal support amounts. Now I'm painting with a pretty broad brush here, I know, but again, assuming we're dealing with a couple who are both fairly motivated to get it done, and are generally in agreement about what assets there are and that they should both continue to participate in the lives of their children, three out of four of those can potentially be worked through with a minimum of delay and acrimony. And the reason for this is that all three of the issues have at least some sort of guidelines and rules around them that are tangible. Now that's not to say that a settlement can't or doesn't often get hung up negotiating those three issues. The fact is they can and do all the time there are often significant emotional hurdles that need to be overcome to reach agreements in the areas of custody, child support, and financial settlement. And of course, if there are any allegations of substance abuse or physical abuse, or if there are questions about the nature or source of assets, then these issues become much more difficult to settle. But because of the guidelines and absent any of those extraordinary circumstances, they can usually be worked out. Child custody could basically be roughly 50-50 and maybe just holidays and special events need to be figured out. Since California is a community property state, asset division can be relatively straightforward. And maybe just a bit of expertise and creativity from a financial professional will be needed to accurately assess all of the tax implications and come up with some imaginative settlement options there. And as for child support, well, there are guidelines that generally make calculating those numbers pretty clear as well. But spousal support? Now that's the big bugaboo. The most often contested part of the settlement negotiation in my experience, and that of most divorce professionals I know, is spousal support. And there are a number of reasons for this, I think. First is the ambiguous nature of the guidelines around spousal support. The controlling statute that the court must consider in establishing permanent spousal support states the following. In ordering spousal support under this part, the court shall consider all of the following circumstances. A. The extent to which the earning capacity of each party is sufficient to maintain the standard of living established during the marriage, taking into account all of the following. 1. The marketable skills of the supported party. The job market for those skills. The time and expenses required for the supported party to acquire the appropriate education or training to develop those skills. 
and the possible need for retraining or education to acquire other, more marketable skills or employment. Two, the extent to which the supported party's present or future earning capacity is impaired by periods of unemployment that were incurred during the marriage to permit the supported party to devote time to domestic duties. B, the extent to which the supported party contributed to the attainment of an education, training, a career position, or a license by the supporting party. C, the ability of the supporting party to pay spousal support, taking into account the supporting party's earning capacity, earned and unearned income, assets, and standard of living. D, the needs of each party based on the standard of living established during the marriage. E, the obligations and assets, including the separate property of each party. F, the duration of the marriage. G, the ability of the supported party to engage in gainful employment without unduly interfering with the interests of dependent children in the custody of the party. H, the age and health of the parties. I, documented evidence of any history of domestic violence as defined in section 6211 between the parties, including, but not limited to, consideration of emotional distress resulting from domestic violence perpetrated against the supported party by the supporting party, and consideration of any history of violence against the supporting party by the supported party. J, the immediate and specific tax consequences to each party. K, the balance of the hardships to each party. L, the goal that the supported party shall be self-supporting within a reasonable period of time, except in the case of a marriage of long duration as described in section 4336, a reasonable period of time for purposes of this section generally shall be one half the length of the marriage. However, nothing in this section is intended to limit the court's discretion to order support for a greater or lesser length of time based on any of the other factors listed in this section, section 4336, and the circumstances of the parties. M. The criminal conviction of an abusive spouse shall be considered in making a reduction or elimination of a spousal support award in accordance with section 4325. And finally, N. Any other factors the court determines are just and equitable. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, I won't go factor by factor, but I think you get the gist that there are a number of them, and that's not really even all of them. The last one states... Any other factors the court determines are just and equitable. So basically, just about anything can be considered in determining spousal support, and it's no wonder this issue becomes a stumbling block for so many divorce settlements. In addition, I think there's this stigma associated with spousal support or alimony. People just hate paying it, and I think sometimes people hate needing it. It makes them feel ineffectual, like they can't make it on their own, but for some, it is literally a lifeline that they otherwise would not have any chance of making it without. On top of that, we see the vast majority of divorces not actually being played out in a courtroom where a judge will at least make the ruling on the amount of spousal support, but rather in a mediation or collaborative setting where the issue will need to be settled between the soon-to-be ex-spouses. And while I'm a huge proponent of alternative dispute resolution methods like mediation and collaborative divorce, One thing I think many couples find it hard to wrap their heads around is this idea of essentially everything being open for negotiation. I have on many occasions met with someone going through a divorce who tells me their spouse is just adamant that he doesn't want to pay spousal support. And then the question comes, aren't there some guidelines about how much support I'll receive? And that's when I have to explain that because they have chosen not to go to court, which is generally a good thing, just about everything in their divorce is open for negotiation, despite what the law might say and that a judge will likely sign off on almost any spousal support arrangement that the couple agreed to in good faith. 
The truth is that when a couple negotiates themselves and comes to an agreement on the terms of their divorce settlement, that agreement is more likely to be honored by both of them over the long run because there's just more buy-in from both parties than you get when the court makes decisions for you. But doing that also requires a certain level of cooperation that just not all divorcing couples are really capable of. It's no wonder then that the spousal support issue tends to be the most common speed bump on the road to settlement. I think in the end, it's one of the areas where a financial neutral can really provide a valuable service by modeling future scenarios which outline how the spousal support affects each spouse going forward. Because if the couple can somehow see things from the other's perspective and realize the importance of that support to the other, it can go a long way to helping ease the difficulty of negotiating this issue. Opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. This program should not be construed as financial, legal, or estate planning advice. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital and seek advice from a licensed professional. Topel and Dostasi Wealth Management LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Topel and Dostasi Wealth Management LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Topel and Dostasi Wealth Management LLC unless a client service agreement is in place. <laughs>